Hasta la vista, baby. I'll be back. Chill out, dickwad. I don't know if I can use that one. Yeah, I'll probably still use that one. Uh, So if you're still listening after this intro here on the Writer's Lens, I'm J.C. Alfelto, and I'm going to do an episode on one of my top 10 favorite films of all time. In fact, I think I'm going to start a top 10 analysis uh, series. I'm going to kick it off with what is probably number seven or eight on my top 10 list of favorite films uh, ever. And that would be Terminator 2, Judgment Day, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governator himself, uh, Edward Furlong, uh, Linda Hamilton, and Robert Patrick as the incredible T-1000. So, uh, yeah, those were some of my attempts at a catchphrase that you're familiar with from the film, and they may or may not stay in. I Well, they probably will stay in just for the sake of the... Uh, uh, d- ridiculousness of the statements. But anyway, this is my episode on Terminator 2, Judgment Day. And my analysis is not going to be about catchy phrases. It's actually going to be about good fathers. So uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to segue from that, but here we go. Welcome back to The Writer's Lens. I'm your host, J.C. Alfelto. And as we continue down the path of analyses of timeless tales and stories and and film, uh, I find myself analyzing an oldie but a goodie, uh, definitely in my top ten, as I said in that intro. And it's Terminator 2 Judgment Day, uh, uh, directed by James Cameron and, of course, starring all the people I mentioned earlier. And Terminator 2 is on my top ten, not the original Terminator And although normally with franchises or series of films, uh, there's one of two ways you can look at it. You can either say, well, I either love the whole franchise, I include it as one slot, or I take a particular film out of that franchise that I think stands out above all the others, and I say that is actually my favorite within the context of the franchise. Now, in the case of Terminator, the first two films are great. Uh, The ones after that are not so great, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I think the fandom would also agree Uh, It seems as though as the movies got older, or rather the franchise got older, every effort to either reinvigorate it or create something new but not so new has turned out to be not so great. (laughs) In fact, really not good. Uh, So as far as I'm concerned, the franchise ended with Terminator 2 and continued kind of haphazardly with the Sarah Connor Chronicles. or Not haphazardly, I shouldn't say that. Continued on with a better sense of storytelling with the Sarah Connor Chronicles, if you ever if you ever saw those. Uh, they were not films. They were not films. They were actually just, it was a miniseries that was pretty good. It was actually okay. It wasn't that bad. But anywho, and at any rate, Terminator 2 Judgment Day is a movie that uh, I think I saw when I was like 10. I was never supposed to see this film at 10, obviously because of the vulgarity and the violence. But I watched it anyway uh, because my, my dad loves the Terminator. He loves the characters that Arnold Schwarzenegger tends to play because... I think he just comes from that era where, like, the macho man, the guy who can punch through walls and ceilings and do all kinds of other really burly masculine things are very attractive to that generation, as they are to mine, because, well, I'm a dude. Anyway, Terminator 2, on its face, is exactly the same story as the original Terminator. I mean, if you were to really pull back and look at these two stories, they're the same. Uh, It's got the same premise. It's about a future impending war where... Uh, machines have taken over, AI is running rampant, they're building machines on their own, they're self-aware, and they send back in time a Terminator, if you will, a cybernetic organism, 
that is sent to kill the leader of the resistance, which is a guy by the name of John Connor. Now, John Connor is this great war general in a future that is still unknown, where he is leading the charge of humanity against the robots. And I know some people are going to be like, they're not robots, they're cyber... Okay, whatever, they're, they're robots. So he's leading, he's leading the charge against this. And so the machines get this bright idea. They're going to send something back through time to kill Connor before he can be alive, because that won't change anything in the long scheme of things in the timeline, right? I mean, <laughs> that won't cause any disturbances. But anyway, they send back through time a Terminator. They do the same thing in the second one. And the Resistance also sends back a protector in the first one, which is a dude. And uh, in the second one, it is another Terminator, which is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know that part of the plot. And then from there, it's basically a game of cat and mouse. The Guardian has to protect the asset, which is John Connor, or at least a Connor, if you will. In this, in this case, in Terminator 2, it's both mom and son. And they're running all over the place. Uh, the, the Terminator that's sent is superior to the Guardian, very similar to the first one. Uh, also, the demise of the Terminator in the second one is that inside of a factory. Same thing happens in the first one. Uh, also in the second one, uh, the main hero who protects the Connors perishes. Well, that's also true of the other film. Uh, as well, we get a little bit more in information about Skynet and how it's going to be built. Also very similar uh, as, as the protagonists try to uh, undo their fate in the future. They try to figure out a way to stop Skynet from forming. That's also true in the first one. So there's a lot of similarities. <laughs> in case you uh, didn't pick up on that, there's tons of similarities between the first and second film. But the thing that separates the first film from the second film is not just the fact that Arnold Schwarzenegger turns the tide and he becomes a good guy. It's the relationship that is formed between the Terminator and the young John Connor, as played by Edward Furlong. Uh, when we first meet John Connor in Terminator 2, he's a rebellious teenager, okay? He's a guy that is in and out of foster homes. His mom has been dubbed a psychopath. Uh, she's inside of a, of a psych ward because she thinks an apocalypse is coming, which of course it is because we're living inside the Terminator universe and that's what's coming. So John is a deviant, okay? Uh, he's, he's had to grow up really fast in a sense, but he's also kind of immature because he doesn't do what he's told. He hates his foster parents. He runs off with some buddy of his playing heavy metal music. Happens to be Guns N' Roses, which is a, a, another favorite band of mine from the 90s. Uh, and they run off to an arcade. He, like, skips school. You know, he's he's basically this kid <clears throat> that every, I think, good teenage girl ever wants, wants to date. Because he breaks all the rules, of course, and he's quite rebellious. And that's what every girl wants when they're a teenager. Uh, I would know nothing of that, of course. So I... So... <laughs> so Anyway, the story then proceeds from there where, you know, Arnold shows up on the scene and Robert Patrick, who plays the T-1000, shows up on the scene. And they're both trying to get John Connor, just like in the first one. You know, the Terminator after Sarah Connor uh, in the first one. And then uh, Kyle Reese, who's played by Michael Bean in the first one. He tries to find Sarah before the Terminator does. Of course, he succeeds and we go on from there. But after the Terminator saves John in Terminator 2, after he saves him, they begin to have a series of interactions where John is getting to know the Terminator. How does it function? What is it? How does it think? What does it do? What does it do when it interacts with human beings? And there's one such scene that kind of begins this relationship the best, which is where 
uh, John is kind of being bullied by these two random guys, these two random big dudes who look like mechanics or something. And John knows he has the upper hand because he has the Terminator beside him who's, who's sworn to protect him. And what ends up happening is the Terminator beats these guys up for him. John is like, well, great, I have this personal Terminator of mine. It's like my bodyguard. But then the Terminator pulls out a gun and goes to, to shoot this guy. And, of course, John stops him and says, what were you doing? And the Terminator makes the obvious statement. He says, oh, I'm a Terminator. That's what I do. I, I terminate people. And John has this moment where we get to see him as the future leader that he will be in the Terminator universe, where he sees that all life is important, human life specifically. And he tells the Terminator, you're not allowed to kill anybody, which is a pretty bold thing to say to a machine that literally could, you know, break you in half and punch a hole through your chest and things like that. He orders it because he knows it's, it's supposed to, you know, listen to what he says. It's programmed to by his future self. Try to wrap your head around that one. But anyway... He commands this thing to not kill, and the Terminator obeys him. And so there's a series of, I guess, somewhat humorous scenes where he shoots people in the knees, and he learns to not kill humans, even though he's a Terminator, but he does his job. You know, he protects John. And through this act of service, while also protecting John, the Terminator slowly begins to sort of fulfill this father role that John never had in his life. And... Again, it's to me, it's masterful storytelling. You know, John is in and out of foster care homes. He's a rebellious teenager. He doesn't have any structure to his life. His mom is a certifiable psycho, apparently, by the by the by the standards of uh, you know just normal psychiatry at the time. And he has no reason to latch on to anybody uh, to learn from them. You know, he has no reason to because everything around him is chaotic and, and nothing makes sense, and he just wants to fit in. And all of a sudden, here comes this Terminator, which is this sort of rigid tough, very um, black and white sort of character, and yet through the fact that he listens to John, because nobody listens to John, of course, nobody listens to him, because he's, you know, a teenager, he listens to John, but he also cares for him in a way that he protects him, that John begins to develop sort of this bond with the Terminator, and you can't really say it's mutual necessarily, but it's happening, and he starts to share things with the Terminator throughout the film. He starts to talk to him about his mom's past boyfriends, and and how, you know, he's supposed to be this great leader, and there's this really cool scene where they're underneath a car fixing it, and, you know, John, again, is just sharing about his life and how, you know, how he's gone from home to home, and, and you know, these are those sort of small moments where, uh, you know, a father and son might be fixing something together or building something together, or, you know, dad showing, you know, the son how to make something. Or, you know, here's a hobby that I have. And, you know, do you want to enjoy this with me? Do you want to be part of it? These are very, very important moments. Because very easily, the storyteller or the director, Cameron, and whoever was writing this thing, could have just gone right past all of this stuff. He could have just basically made this another cat and mouse film where, you know, they're just on the run. And they don't know whether to trust the Terminator and they don't know whether or not the other Terminator, you know, if the Terminator is going to program the T-800, which is Arnold, to kill them too. You know, there's this sense of distrust. And yet, as the movie goes on, you really get the sense, of course, that the T-800 is on their side. <clears throat> that he is there to help them. He's not going to harm them. And he is there to protect John at all costs. And also do what he says to some degree. Then we get to what is the revelation, if you will. We get to the revelation after all these moments of protection and nearly being attacked and killed by the T-1000, where John is teaching the Terminator how to how to basically give a high five. Uh, and they're playing this, you know, too slow. I've done this with my kids. Um, I wouldn't suggest doing it with a 
Terminator necessarily, but it's a movie. And Sarah Connor, again, played by Linda Hamilton, is observing this. And she's watching John teach the Terminator how to do this game. And she has this sort of internal monologue at this moment in the film. And I'm going to read for you what she says, because to me, this summarizes what separates Terminator 2 from the first Terminator. And she says this. She goes, she was watching John with the machine. It was suddenly so clear. The Terminator, Terminator would never stop. It would never leave him. And it would never hurt him, never shout at him and get drunk or even hit him. Or say to him it was too busy to spend time with him. It would always be there. And it would die to protect him. Of all the would-be fathers who came and went over the years, this thing, this machine, was the only one who measured up. And in an insane world, it was the sanest choice. Now, it's not exactly Shakespearean, but you get the picture here. And again, the, this term, would-be fathers, that came and went over the years, she uses this term to describe exactly what this relationship looks like. John is here hanging out with his Terminator. Now, the Terminator, of course, is not his real dad. Okay, it's not his real dad, but he's fulfilling many of these roles that we would look to from a human father to fulfill for their human sons. And the reality is that it's a machine. Okay, it's a machine that is given an, given an objective. It, it, it has an operational obje objective, and it will not deviate from that because it is a machine. It is programmed by human beings. And realizing that it could do all these things without having to make a choice that necessarily would fit its own self-interest, it would be the sanest choice to make because as uh, Sarah Connor uh, describes, it would never leave him. It would never hurt him, never shout at him or get drunk and hit him. You know, she's describing the underbelly of bad parenting. You know, she's describing what it might be like to live under a tyrannical father, okay? And you could say by proxy tyrannical mother as well, but in this case, we're talking about dads. She's speaking to, uh, you know, an ailment that's his oldest time itself. The the idea that your dad... Uh, needs to be both protector and parent, and then on top of that, he needs to be provider, okay? He needs to be all of these things, um, but you also take the good with the bad, right? Like, no father is 100% a perfect man, you know, like, I, you know, as much as I want to be absolutely perfect for my kids, I know I, I get impatient with them, I know I lose my temper at times, um, and I know that they're looking at me like, well, dad, you know, I just... I just asked you 40 questions in about five minutes. Why can't you just answer the 40th question? You know, and I'm sitting there going, will you stop asking me questions? You know, like I just, <laughs> uh, because I know there will come a day when they're not asking me questions and I want I want that time to continue for now as long as it can and, and, until my sanity drops. But the point is, is that you're never going to be the Terminator. You know, you're never going to be a machine to your children. In fact, you should never be a machine to your kids. You're supposed to be this organic thing, a heart of flesh. You know, you're not going to have this heart of metal and steel. Uh, but when the time arises for you to rise up and be the protector, to rise up and be the provider, to rise up and be the parent that you're supposed to be, that's when your kids are really going to be watching. And, uh, you know, to me, you know, I think with my own, with my sons or, you know, even my daughter, there are times when I've shown my son something that he learned that was new, and he learned it because I was there with him, or he learned to be brave at one point, you know, riding his bike or getting a toy from under his, under the couch that he thought was scary or whatever it is. Rising to the occasion is part of what makes you a really good parent. Not rising to the occasion is, okay, maybe subpar, 
but to completely distort what it means to be a good parent would be the parts that Sarah Connor describes when she says it would never leave him, okay, hurt him, shout at him, get drunk, hit him, things like that. These are the real perverse things about bad parenting that she is describing. And she's using the worst examples to basically um, give the illustration as to why the Terminator was the, the sanest choice. You know, we were going to make machines that could basically be better than even our best dads. Even our best dads were going to make a machine that could do more than they could, right? Uh, and again, it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing to say that. But here's the reality, of course, in all this. Here's the reality in all this. And I'm not trying to go down too much of a tangent about fatherhood in this, but that is sort of the, the point of this episode, is that you're going to take the good with the bad with any person, okay? You're going to, there are going to be things about a person that are good, and there's going to be things about a person that are not so good. Uh, nobody's perfect. But the hope is that we all are finding ourselves on a gradient where we are becoming better, you know, and, and that means inside of our relationships, that means being a better parent, means being a better spouse, means being a better friend, brother, whatever that role might be that you are fulfilling. But we're never going to be robots, okay? We're never going to be machines, you know, we're never going to be the Terminator, right? We're never going to be any of those things. And that's okay. Okay, that is okay. And to me, that's probably the, the, the big lesson, of course, to pull from this is that, because ultimately, when you look at where everything goes after they decide that this is the sanest choice, the, the robots rebel and they try to kill everyone. <laughs> so it really wasn't the sanest choice at the end of the day anyway. Uh, right? So, so there you go. But... The point is still there, all right? The point is still there that there are a lot of dads that are in training still that are just maybe not the greatest dads or dads who think they should be, you know, they should put themselves before their kids. Maybe they don't even know what a good blueprint is to be a dad. They need help, right? They need help from other uh, dads to get on the right track and know what are some of the practical ways I can be a better father because because to me, and I, I believe this more and more as I interact with other fathers and other other men, is so many men behave based upon how they were treated when they were kids. You know, how their dad was, even if they didn't like him, they still emulate him in their older years if they don't find something better. If they don't find a better way to do it, they're ultimately going to emulate how their fathers were. It's just the way that it is. It's what you're familiar with. It's what the natural progression is for you to do. And the one of the big ways to break that is if you are a person who recognizes that in one of your friends or if it's a brother or if it's, heaven forbid, an in-law or, or someone close to you that you can speak into their life, then yes, you can do that. But a lot of people I know are afraid to do that because, oh, I don't want people to think I'm judging them and stuff. We, you know, we live in the age of non-judgment, and yet we still live in the age of judgment. <clears throat> you still have to, right? You still have to because, to me, it's the children, right? It's the children because it'll be a generational thing. If the children grow up seeing a really bad example, they will, they themselves will become a bad example to their kids and on and on and on. That is if they do have children. Uh, so it's a, it's a tricky space. It's obviously a very tricky space to navigate. And uh, you probably didn't think you could get all that from a movie about uh, terminating people and robots and, um, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and whatnot. But hey, it's there. It, all of this stuff is baked in there, I assure you. <laughs> I just unpacked for you in the context of Terminator 2 Judgment Day. See, so you know, even have that term judgment in there as well. So that's my story, and I'm, I'm sticking to it here on the analysis of Terminator 2 and, and Good Fathers, uh, because that, to me, is what separates Terminator 2 
from the original Terminator film is this crux of the tale, which is John's search for a dad, which he never had growing up, finding it, ironically, in a robot uh, who is Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then ultimately having to lose him at the end of it. But now knowing you know, what that looks like, what does it look like to have someone that embodies many of the features that you would look for in a good father. And, that, and those are some of the things that we find inside of uh, Arnold's character in Terminator 2. So there you have it. I bet you, again, I, I will say I bet you didn't think that you could find a really good father-son tale in Terminator 2, but it's there, okay? It's there, I assure you, as I, as I said earlier. <laughs> so anyway, all right, so uh, as always, like, share, subscribe, share uh, this with a friend of yours or somebody that you might think would love to kick the tires around and, and have a discussion about this, uh, this incredible piece of cinema from the 90s. Uh, I might have to actually go back and rewatch it over the holidays myself just because it is, as I said, one of my top 10 favorite movies ever is the great Terminator 2 Judgment Day film. So until next time, guys, uh, stay safe out there, and I will catch up with you guys again soon. This is JCL Felto for The Writer's Lines.